Hey, this is Chip, and this is a bonus episode of the Erie Music History Podcast. This is about a 12-minute add-on to episode 3 featuring Paula Holmes. Here she talks about how her son Paul showed an impressive aptitude for music from a really young age and was eventually taught by Frank Singer in Erie and went on to be a professional musician. So enjoy and please hit that subscribe button. Thanks. You and Phil aren't the only musicians in that household anymore. Your son is a no. musician too, right? And From the time he was four, playing yeah. the keyboard. What, yeah, okay, I'm, keyboards, you know. guitar, or everything? He started or? with piano because he had to, because that's all sure. we got in the house. <laughs> and uh, we always had our baby grand. And uh, then he was one of those kids that would take like a melodica or a harmonica, and he wouldn't quit. He wouldn't go out and play. He would just sit there, couldn't help it. He would walk past the piano and he'd have to play it. And right. I noticed when he was about four, I don't believe in pushing kids into things. Yeah. But I remember thinking he just watched like a cartoon with a theme song. And he would go over with two fingers on one hand and two fingers on the other and, and duplicate it. He would replicate wow. it on the keyboard. And I thought, yeah, but he's too young to have. I don't want to push him into lessons. So one of my friends who was a Hungarian piano tuner and a great piano player, he said, no, this child, you need to take him for lessons. So I took him to this little motherly English lady named Mrs. Coulson. So I waited a half an hour. I was a nervous wreck. She comes back out with Paul and Paul's trying not to be proud. <laughs> you know, kids will. And uh, she said, most of the boys would rather be out in the road playing football, but not this little boy. And... <laughs> That was it. He passed that was it. London exams when he was six and, you know, just went from strength to strength. We came to Erie and he said, I don't want to do any old fashioned stuff anymore. Because some of these older people, you know, their idea of modern music would be a, a song from Man of La Mancha or something. You know? <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, by this time, the kid was listening in the 90s. He was gator listening to all sorts of, you know, his, Mo his music, right? Modern music, right. Yeah. So he uh, decided one day, he says, I want a good piano teacher who's going to teach me how to really play mo the kind of music I like. Hmm. So I asked around and Paul's teacher at school said, oh, you want to have Frank Singer? You know, Frank? Sure. <laughs> and I played with him too. Little yeah. bit. So, well, Frank is Frank. He's the, he's the maniac. Right. You know, right. In, in the most fantastic. I'm saying that yeah. in the sweetest way possible. Right. He's right. a musical maniac. He is. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul goes to him to have piano lessons and he comes out and says, I want to play the guitar. He still had his accent. I said, only if you stick to piano, you can do it. We'll get. We bought him this cheap boat from a garage sale. We went and bought him a, it was called a Sustaniac. It oh. had like 50 knobs on it. <laughs> and uh, had to be restrung, but it was real cheap. We got him that. And by that Christmas, he had a Telecaster. Wow. He was that good. He just yeah. picked it right up. He, yeah. Yep. And started writing his own songs. He never stopped writing. He never stopped writing and playing. He had bands. He had a band called Modus all through high school. And they were really, really good. They were based at McDowell. And uh, Modus, is that what it was called? Modus, yes. Okay. They had two albums out. Um, when, and what, uh, what year is this? Are we talking now? So we're in the 90s? Oh, no, late 90s. Okay. Late 90s. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because right. he graduated in 2000. That's right. right. And then he went to Berkeley College of Music, which was almost over my dead body. I wanted him to stay in town. 
Yeah. And uh, so he goes to Berkeley. He is there probably a week and he meets all these like-minded souls and they get a band together and they start playing out on weekends. And before you know it, Paul is desperate to get out of Berkeley. He says, I hate harmonic. I hate ear training. I said, but it'll make you a well-rounded musician. He said, why do I need to know? What I can already do. Why do I have to know how I do it? It doesn't matter. You don't know how you sing, do you? Can you describe why you do what you do? I said, no, no, I can't. But I want you to have a degree. Come on. So he said. So now you're your your dad. You've turned into your dad now. I have turned into my dad. Yeah. (laughs) Because we're teachers. I was a teacher and and my dad was a teacher. And it was important to us that he did this. So he says, okay, I'll, I'll stick with it for a little bit longer. He got a job at a shoe store. And I was all excited to find out if he'd sold me shoes that day. And he calls from Boston. And he says, I said, did you sell any shoes, honey? And he goes, no, but I was at the top of the Prudential building in a lawyer's office. And he was telling me someday this could all be yours. I said, what? What happened? Turned out his vocal teacher, which was part of the curriculum that he had to do at Berkeley. Sure. He was so miserable and so, so depressed that, and he would come in a couple times a week to his lesson. It was a one-on-one lesson. Yeah. And he would play her a song that he'd written and sing it. It was supposed to be a voice lesson. And she said she was so impressed because a lot of the faculty at Berkeley, as you can imagine, have music industry roots. Sure. And they all know a lot of people. And she did. And she said, I have an entertainment lawyer friend who worked with Sony and a new, they were doing like this um, sort of a, a specialized label called Or Records off of Sony. Okay. A called, um, Michael Kaplan, who was a big deal. You know, he broke a lot of bands back in his day, about my age. And Paul, they'd given him a, a CD of Paul and they went bonkers. Wow. And they just couldn't, they wanted to buy all the songs. And we were saying, like, hang on to your masters, Paul, like, like anybody yeah. cares now. Right. But that was a big thing back then. So he leaves school. I call his voice teacher and say, what did you do? Yeah, you're she fired. Said, relax. She said, <laughs> relax, Paula. I broke my rule. She says, I have a rule. I never put students in touch with my contacts in the music industry, but it was so good. I had to do it. And plus he was miserable. So I said, okay. She says he can always come back to school, but it's not rocket science. It's music, you know, and you, it's kind of like athletics. You strike while the iron's hot. So he gets his buddies from school and uh, they asked him at Sony, do you want to be solo or do you want your band? Well, you know, you're 19 years old. You don't want to be the odd one out. You want your buddies with you. Sure, right. So right. the band was called Pity Sing, P-I-T-T-Y-S-I-N-G. Okay. All right. Um, and the song that almost hit was called Radio. All and right. I'm sure you can find it and the video on YouTube somewhere. YouTube has Pity Sing doing several different songs. And, you know, they were in California and they were here and they were there and they had outfits and they met famous people. And he met the guy from the cars at CBGB's. And, you know, it was that time, that era, sure. right before everything in music kind of changed and went from CDs and CD stores yeah. to Napster online, and digital. Everything. And, and right. Napster first, yeah. Right, right. And so that's 
what happened. And I think Pity Singh was together for at least they went to London a couple of times. And, you know, back in those days, <clears throat> you had to instant message people. And his manager would instant message me and say, Paul owns the stage. He's amazing. And he's on stage right now. And, you know, it was <laughs> it was a taste. Um, sure. And they opened for other big name people. And uh, Rich cool. Ocasek told him he was phenomenal. And, you know, oh, he's going to be a star and all great. that. It was. It yeah. was. But it got to the point where I started praying that it wouldn't happen because I saw and he saw so much around him in the way of pressure and being so young that I remember what my dad had told me, why he didn't want me to do it. Yeah. And right, uh, right. I saw Paul getting into the same dangerous waters, shall we say. Sure. And the waters were populated by adults, not by other people his age, but by adults in the industry. I yeah. mean, some great people, don't get me wrong, some really great people, sure. especially his lawyer was just lovely. But that whole scene, and then as it began to change, they were supposed to come out with their album um, and they were hedging and faffing around with um, who's going to master it. It was mixed. And they were like, we want this big name guy to master because he did Nirvana. We want this guy to do it. You know, and they were dragging their feet. Well, before you know it, the killers, you know, the killers, band, sure. mm -hmm. they come out with their album first, Brandon Flowers and everybody, they come out first and basically beat them to the punch. Oh, so that's how that. And then, Sony, if I get this right, decides, well, they were bought out by, uh, B what is it, uh, BMG? BMI? Or BMG? BMI? Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. BMG. Yeah. And BMG is saying, okay, we don't care if you have the second coming on your roster. We're only going to deal with the moneymakers, already established stars Yeah. right now. That was my fear, too, is that he would have a contract with a major label and he wouldn't be allowed to do anything else, go anywhere else. And he'd just have to sit there and be ignored because yeah. he wasn't Justin Timberlake or somebody, you know. And that was my fear because I'd heard of that happening to so many bands that, you know, at first they're absolutely jubilant. We've made it. We've signed with a major label and you're still on the bench. Sure, sure. You know, so. He's, he's never stopped making music. He had a couple other bands. Uh, when he came down, he, he was in LA. He was in New York for 10 years. Oh, okay. And he had a band called Paul and the Patient. And, you know, he, he there was a lot of musical evolution going on for him, like there is for all of us. Sure, right. Um, but he's never performed anything other than his own music. Okay. And he considers himself a writer and not so much a guitarist, but he is guitarist too he's an all-rounder he you know you can put him in a studio well he does all his own stuff pretty much now although he works um he has one of his good buddies has a big uh studio in jacksonville one of the biggest so he goes there once in a while and records but mainly he records on his own he mixes really well he masters you can do it all. Yeah, I, I just wondered, like, do the three of you, have you ever played all together, the three of you, you know, playing stuff around the house? Yeah, or, when he, when he was know. 14. Yeah, I mean, it's say, been a long oh, time. You've got, you know? you've got to play this solo for us. And he'd be like, okay, but your music's weird. <laughs> you know? Right, right. So he's well. come full circle now. He quite likes it when I sit in, when he's been playing um, with another fellow until recently, the fellow uh, moved. Um, but they were doing a lot of gigs together and it was very pleasant. And then they'd invite me up and Paul finally got to the point where his mother doesn't embarrass him quite as much as she is too. Sure, know? right, right. But well, I'll send you some things that he's doing, Chip, because 
as a musician, I know you'll like, I know, yeah. I'll be surprised if you don't recognize. Well, for know, sure. Send me that. Too. Yeah. And I will put some of those links uh, in the okay. episode notes for this episode also. 